Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, I'll bring you an episode that was recorded live in the Whale Theatre in Greystones back in November 2022. My guests are Fiona Brennan and Siobhan Murray. And the title of the podcast was Combating Burnout and How to Create Positive Habits. This is going to be the last podcast of 2022. I'll be taking a short break, but I'll come back with some more guests and some more stories. I'm also working on something new that I'm hoping to bring to you in the very near future. If you've enjoyed the podcasts so far, please share them and review them. It would be greatly appreciated. The title tune, as always, is Alice by Lucky Bones. For more information and more episodes, please visit socialfabric.ie. Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Sit and talk a while. Hello, 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 whether I'm standing here or I'm sitting where you are, everything is just seamless, effortless. And there's so much work going on to put up a show. And I'd like to thank Brian, Peter, Paul, Ross, Kia, Isabel, Lauren, Chloe, and everybody else I've forgotten their name. So wonderful. Thanks a million for having us again. And thank you all for buying the tickets. We don't take it for granted. It's really appreciated that you're spending the money to come and see us. One day, Ross asked me a few years ago, um, I think I've done eight shows now here, maybe nine, to do a show. I thought it'd be a great idea to come up with a topic that it was interesting to me. Then I thought maybe it'd be interesting to other people. And go and find the experts, the people who know about it. And tonight is no difference. I have two wonderful guests for you. And uh, not only the experts and written books, they're the books about the, the topic, but they, they really do walk the walk. They know what they're talking about it, they've been through it. So they'll be able to share their stories and their professional outlook on what we're talking about tonight, which is burnout, how to combat burnout, and how to have, create positive habits. I have one contractual obligation with the theater, which is, Ross McParland told me, you have to make sure everybody walks out with a smile. So I have to do that tonight, so we'll do my best. So the topic can be a little bit heavy, but we'll make the best to have you walking out with a smile. Otherwise, I'll be fired, and I can see him there in the, in the wings, <laughs> right, strip, ripping the, the contract. Thanks, Russ. Um, just a quick one. Um, the way it's going to work, we're going to talk for about 45 minutes or so, and then we'll have a break, so you can have a, a little stretch of your legs, get to talk to that person beside you you don't know yet, have a quick chat and say hello, or have a drink or whatever. Also, we will have some books available for sale. The girls are here 
the authors are here, they'll be able to sign it for you if you like to buy yourself a lovely Christmas present or to somebody else. And other than that, thanks a million for being here and please warm welcome to Fiona Brennan and Siobhan Murray. I made, a, I made a huge mistake already when we met half an hour ago. I said, uh, you guys need to get changed. <laughs> and Fiona said, what are you talking about? Uh, so, <laughs> so I said, sorry. Uh, so that was my first mistake. We start from a different place. So I, just very quickly, I met Siobhan and Fiona about four years ago. So uh, at the time, they were both launching their book. We'll get to the books in a second. And uh, I, first to say we became friends, although we don't see each other all the time, but we're in touch all the time, so thank you for being here. But before, I know a little bit about you. Most of these people don't know who you are, I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, this is the first half, it would be just a bit of boring, but <laughs> Siobhan, who are you? What, brought you? what brings you here? Well, you bring me here. <laughs> um, I, am, I suppose what brings me to, to be sitting up here talking about burnout is my own experience of burnout um, but you know I worked and I, I haven't always been a psychotherapist and, and a coach and prior to um, coming into the sort of the, the latter career that I have I worked in the music industry um, I worked for Sir Elton John um, I would traveled the world I've done all sorts of crazy things I've worked corporately um, and in each industry that I worked in, I burnt out. So it wasn't the industry, it was my behaviors. It was the way I was drinking. Um, actually last week I celebrated my 15 year not drinking anniversary. Congratulations. <laughs> Enjoy your drinks, ladies and gents. Enjoy your drinks. <laughs> and just to let you know, I only ever gave up for a month like so be careful what you give up for a month because it might just stick but you know when i i think for me when i when i gave up drinking my i have two boys they're 15 and a half and 17 and it was at that point that was the biggest behavior change that i made which then created i left my corporate job um i went to college i did my degree in counseling and psychotherapy and i've kind of added to that along the way and had I not made those, uh, those changes, but the first one being for me, which was to, to give up drinking, I, don't, I actually don't know if I'd be here um, in any shape or form. Um, I think you know, the whole drinking culture, especially for women as a single mother, it became all too easy. My Chardonnay was my best friend um, and we hung out at home. We didn't actually go and party. It was, it was the at home hanging out. So, you know, I suppose that in a nutshell brings me to where I am now, 15 years later, have two great kids, work for myself, um, have love, we were only just talking about this earlier, it's twee as it sounds, but love what I do, um, and don't get burnt out. So that's it in a nutshell. Wonderful. And uh, I wanted Siobhan and Fiona, I'm going to ask Fiona the same question now, to, to give a little bit about themselves, because... It's all very well to write a book, and we're going to ask about the book. It's very easy to write a book, by the way. Uh, but it's, uh, there's quite a few people here that have written a book. No, but it's really hard. Um, but it, it's, it's really important that 
to, you know, we were talking about that. We went out for dinner earlier on, and we were talking about, you know, they're genuine people. And that's when I met them first. That's what struck me. That they are genuine. They're not there just to charge you when you go and see them. We'll get to the charge in a minute. So, Fiona, what about you? Where do you come from? Where do I come from? Uh, Dublin, uh, Sandy Mount. But I suppose it's similar in, in some ways in the sense that, you know, there is that idea that you, you, you teach what you need most. So I would have been someone who definitely struggled with anxiety to the point where it was so strong, I didn't even know, really. I, I couldn't even, I wouldn't have even been able to say I have anxiety or what is anxiety, but it consumed me for, for a very large part of my life. Um, so I understand it. I, I know what it's like to be free. I know what it's like to, to come out of it. I know what it's like to, um, to live fully, to have a life that really, I suppose, is one that I always dreamed of in many ways without, again, being sounding too twee, um, but just to experience the opposite of it and to know that this is within me and it's within everybody, that we all have that potential to actually really go through some shit and come out the other side of it and really uh, f fly as high as we can, you know, without, <laughs> without drugs, without drink, but just a natural, beautiful high that I think is life of itself. So that the preciousness of life, the gratitude for life, and the joy of life. Um, so my, my business, my book, is called The Positive Habit. And for me, positivity is, it's a choice, it's a uh, practical choice, but really one of the most positive things that any of us can do is to go to those darker places, to, to go through negative, um, and I, when I say quote unquote negative feelings, but emotional, our emotional health is just so paramount to how we show up in the world, the work that we do, our relationships, um, and I, I, I've experienced it myself, and I've been so fortunate to help so many clients over the years as well, one-to-one -one work, but also through my online courses, through my books, and yeah, it's like, it literally is just like, you know, we just, just absolutely love what I do quite, it's almost like a kind of relationship, I'm in a relationship with this <laughs> person that is me, that is my work, that I, I love deeply. Wonderful. So thank you for having me. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I had to shut them up in the, in the restaurant. They wouldn't <laughs> stop talking. So I said, what am I going to talk about when we get to the theatre? Uh, no, we didn't touch any of this. We were talking about something completely different. But I, I joked about the book, but I want to stay with that for a second because it's not easy to write a book. And it, it can, I can tell you because I've been trying for the last 20 odd years. And, but when I met both, first met you both, it was around 2019. You were both on the podcast before back episodes 45 and 54, which is interesting, the same number. Wow, that's There's something impressive. there going on there. Um, yeah, so it was a long time ago, but you were both launching the book. I came to your book launch. I missed your book launch because you had just launched it. What was, do you, can you cast your mind back on why the moment you went, either of you, what was, I'm going to write a book about this because it really means something to me. And what was it like? What was the process like? What was it? I'm sure you went to at the edge of burnout when you were doing it. Tell us a bit. Well, not only was I writing a book on burnout, um, I was doing a TV documentary called Stressed. Um, so I was doing my normal work. I'd had this mad idea 
um, that I would, I have a two-bedroomed house, which is now a three-bedroomed because I've converted the attic, which is perfect for somebody of anything of five foot and lower, which means the teenagers can't get up there. <laughs> but four or five years ago, I got this great idea. I would rent out my house. The lads had got that little bit bigger and I would rent a bigger house. Now, the only way I could do this, there is a reason behind, I'm telling you this backstory. The only way I could do this is I got some English language students in. So now I'm suddenly gone from a 650 square foot house, two bedroom, two up, two down, two teenagers, two dogs, two cats. <laughs> I now have a four and a half thousand square foot house, six bedrooms, six students. I've oh, now gosh. moved my office that I used to rent a little office into the house. So now I'm working even more hours. I had to cook dinner every night for all these students. Oh, I have to talk to all these students. Oh, come on, give her a hug. <laughs> I'm feeling stressed just listening to her. And then I started working on a TV documentary called Stress and started writing the book, The Burnout Solution, <laughs> while juggling all these balls. And, and, and I look back now and I think, oh, dear God. But I think when you're in something, it, it, when you're, you're, you have deadlines and you're doing something that you really want to see a really good product in it. So I didn't kill any of the students, didn't kill the kids. Um, Killed the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Something I had to give. We'll talk about that one another time. Um, and, you know, the process, when I got over the initial, because it was elements of imposter syndrome that, you know, like, who am I to write a book? Like, I'm, I've done, you know, all these other mad things and, uh, you know, like, uh, what's my knowledge? Um, I, I, I'm not qualified in writing a book, but there is no, like, there's nothing that you do. I didn't... I, I wrote about this in my book. I didn't even do my leaving cert. I went to school one day and I ran away and I got on the boat and I went to London um, and there was no mobile phones. So my God love my poor mother. Um, you know, so I didn't go to college. I, I did my degree 10 years ago. I, so, you know, confronted with this writing a book and it's, yeah, I still remember, remember being interviewed afterwards. Um, by journalists and because the, the publication uh, house, they, they get you all this PR and the, I was saying, yeah, no, like I wrote this, but I'm not really an author. And I remember a journalist saying to me, no, but you are because you've just written a book. I'm like, no, 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 I just wrote a book, but I'm not an author. That's like, that's for other people. Um, and I think, I think the process, I mean, you just, for me, I used to get up early. I do my better work in the morning and, and I would just get up and go, okay, you know, work on a chapter, come back to it, um, lots of procrastinating, lots of leaving it till the last minute. I'm not going to say it was, you know, yeah, I did this great formula and it really worked and it was lovely. No. Um, and, you know, you get to the end and there's a little bit of an anticlimax when you get to the end, when it's finally submitted and you kind of go, well, what will I work on now? Because you've put all this energy and time and, and you've created time in your day every single day to, to work on it. Um, but it was an incredible experience. And, you, you know, in the book, I write a little bit about my own backstory. So it brought up stuff that I'd kind of shoved mm. back down. And um, But I did it because in the hope that what I've gone through would resonate with other people and they could go make that connection and say, yeah, that, that sounds like me. Yeah, 
Wonderful. And as you say, um, the books came out in 2019, and Siobhan posted, a, posted something the other day on the, on the web, on somewhere, on the interweb, whatever it's called. <laughs> I can't You're remember. You're not that old, Andrew. One of them, one You're of those a things. Youngster. And they're still in the best selling list, so fair play to both of you. They're both still in the top 10. And uh, I, I, read, I read Siobhan's book, but I listened to Fiona's, and she said, I've been in bed with most people in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me it's about true, being, yeah. being, being in bed with you uh, when people listen to you in bed. Or well, yeah, I've been in a lot of beds all over <laughs> the world, Australia as well, apparently. Um, no, basically, a huge component of my work is audio. So with the book, there is hypnotherapy audios that are accompanying it. And so there is one particular very useful one, going to sleep, when people have sleep issues. So so many people pop it into their ears as they're going to, if anyone has problems going to sleep here, it's, it's really, really helpful. Um, because it just helps the whole nervous system to relax and you kind of just go through a really lovely, gentle relaxation process. You let go and you start to float and then you drift off to sleep and it's, it's really lovely. And um, so as a result, quite a lot of women tend to listen to these and as a result, their husbands are in the room. So I'm in bed with their husband. People tell me, you've been to bed with my husband and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good looking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I won't go there. No, but that's another, yeah, that's maybe a bit too far. But tell me about the feedback you're getting for the books, because it's, it's quite important. As you say, you know, it's a bit of an anticlimax. Once it's out there, it's out there, right? What kind of feedback are you getting from your books? Are you getting feedback? Well, yes, yeah. I'm always surprised, to be honest with you, when someone t says they've read it. I'm like, Really? Did, did you read it? Oh my God, thanks a million. That's so kind of you. I had no idea. Um, yeah, I think it's, to be honest, the, the best thing with anything you do in this world is once it's created is, is really to let it go. And, and that's what I've learned. Um, so it's out there, it's doing its job. Um, and I'm very proud of it. It's a little bit like having a child. You, 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 you want to sort of gradually let them go. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be one of those mammies who's, you know, <laughs> I don't know, doing their driving lesson, lessons for them or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, so it's it's something that I really enjoy. Like, I love writing. I think that I didn't find it a, a chore. I didn't find it something like I have to do this. And it was quite a short deadline, the, the first book. But it just came really organically. Like, I have to say, I really just kind of just came very naturally. Um, I come from a family of like my, both my parents have written books. So I think maybe there's something in that. Um, and I just love it. Like it, it's just one of those things I think I'll always be doing at, at some level, whether it's writing blogs, articles, books. I just find it such a, a, a really, it's a therapeutic experience to be honest for me. Um, and then I hope obviously that it, it goes out and helps other people. So I just love the whole creativity of it. Wonderful. And I, I just read about an hour ago, you'd just be nominated for something else about an hour ago. Well done. Whatever it was, it was VIP something. Oh, okay. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't, well, I'm delighted, but at the same time, I, I, I have problems with that term, VIP, right? Because I just don't like it. it very important person. We're all bloody very important people, <laughs> good, right? Good answer. So, you know, that like, and anyone who works for VIP, thank you very much, and I don't mean any harm. <laughs> and I still want to be nominated, don't throw me out. <laughs> but at the same time, do, would you not agree that it's a little bit, um, 
you know, I know that's the, it's just a magazine and there's, you know, but at the same time, I've always had a bit of an issue with that, those yeah, words. Dated in well, it's also morally yeah. wrong. Anyway, well done. Yeah, I, thank I, you. <laughs> <laughs> she, go and find on the, on the interweb, she's been nominated for something. Interweb. Rather. Well done. So now you get an idea who I'm talking to. So they both have a pedigree. They know what they're talking about. That's really why they're here. And so let's get into a little bit of what we're talking about tonight. If I, if I may read a couple of things about burnout, right? So when I first met Siobhan, I didn't have a clue what burnout was. I just read somewhere, so somebody talking about burnout, I said, better go and talk to her. That was really the, the logic behind. Since I learned a few things, and this survey says in 2020 that 48% of people that were asked have experienced burnout twice, uh, sorry, 40% have experienced sometimes, 21% always. And this is in 2020, and it also says 63% are more likely to take a six day, sick day, and 23% are more likely to visit an emergency room. So it's kind of getting scary. And the last thing it says, employees experiencing burnout are three times more likely to leave their job. Now this is in 2020, before that thing we had called COVID. What's, what's burnout? Well, so according to the World Health Organization, in 2019, they um, they announced that it was they classified it as an occupational phenomenon. Um, and I remember I was I was working for a company doing something, doing a talk, and I was had to go into one of their conference rooms, and I had to um, do a live with a Canadian TV um, show to talk about this. And and I was going, yeah, this is great. The World Health Organization have have um, acknowledged it, but you know it's still not a medical condition, and it should be a medical condition. And it took me about two days before I went. Oh no 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 no! It does not. We do not want burnout to be classified as a medical condition. And the reasoning behind this is burnout is emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion brought on by emotionally demanding situations. And I will always say we can we can all have that feeling of being emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausted over you know, a period of a week or you know a day here and there I'm talking of periods of two or three months continually where it's affecting you it's affecting your sleep it's affecting your connection to your work your family like the list goes on and on so if it becomes a medical condition then we're just going to see people being treated with medication and burnout is not treated burnout recovery or prevention is treated with lifestyle interventions and lifestyle changes and that's to me one of the reasons why I get like now I get really serious and I get really really passionate because you know yes you can the, the, there is you can end up getting depressed you can end up actually I've seen people presenting I wrote about one of them in my book uh, he's become a, ended up becoming a very good friend he was young in his early thirties solicitor and he presented into his A and E up in Drogheda with pains down his arm, pains in his chest, convinced he was having a heart attack. Completely sound guy, not a hypochondriac, was so convinced he was having a heart attack. And they checked all his vitals. Everything was fine. His heart was fine, blood pressure was fine, everything was fine. It was just stress. I say just stress, but that's the level of impact it can have on your physical body, as well then as the emotions and the mental impact it has 
it's not I think I do think one of the problems is burnout is a word that's being bandied about a little bit too much because it's now become oh I'm really burnt out I will just say no you're just bloody exhausted you know a good weekend switch off <sighs> sit in front of the TV get fresh air there's lots of things like I get utterly exhausted even though I love what I do not burnt out so when somebody is burnt out, you'll know about it. Or if somebody has experienced burnout, they're living it, they will know about it. Because that weekend of recuperation and resting, that does nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a long journey to come back from it. And we'll go back to all, all the burnout and, and, and some of the solutions. But one thing, when I was reading about it, apart from your book, I, I did a bit of research. And, and one thing that struck me is this word, unrealistic. Every time you read a burn about burnout, it thinks about realistic work expectation, unrealistic deadlines, unrealistic time pressure, unmanageable workload. That's mm -hmm. in, in a text that I read. So it's what you're saying. It's not, you know, it's the environment, right? Yeah, it's the environment. Sorry. And responsibility without control, I think, is one of the most difficult things for people. And I see that a lot with my clients as they... they are in positions in work, maybe have a good job, but they have no control and a lot of responsibility. And that's, that's a really, you're between a rock and a hard place there because what can you do, you know? Mm. It's one of the other things I will say, and you know, I think, because historically, they, if you look up burnout um, and where the term came from, it'll go back to 1974, I think it is, where it was a term that was used for the medical profession. That's actually not true. It goes back further than that. Um, it goes back to the 1960s, and it was a term to use how drug addicts were burnt out. That's where the term first came from. Okay. Um, it then got taken on board um, in the early 1970s, and it was very much really used in relation to people who worked in the caring profession, so doctors, nurses, um, people who were caring about other people more than themselves, and that would make sense. Um, you know, then we move on to the 80s, 90s, and where we are now. The reality of what I see is, you know, people think, oh, it's only people in positions, in high positions that get burnt out. High achievers are people who will be more predispositioned to get burnt out. You can be a high achiever and work in super value. You can be a high achiever and be a nurse. You can be a high achiever and be a primary school teacher. You can be a high achiever and be a stay-at-home mum. It doesn't matter what your career is. It doesn't matter where you are in your career. You can be in college. You can be 50, 60, it doesn't matter. If you are that high achiever who is constantly striving, you will be more predispositioned to get burnt out because we can never attain that. Hmm, interesting. Uh, what about you, Fiona? You're talking about some of the clients. We'll go look in, into more into how it manifests itself and how some of the work you guys do. But when, you, when people come to you, do you hear much about burnout? Because I think it's interesting what you're saying, Siobhan, that sometimes words become, you know, and I'm not, I'm not diminished this in any way, but I'm depressed, I'm burned out, I'm this, you know, I have, a, I have an issue with mental health and the way it's been bandied. And I do have a, I believe we need to look after mental health, but sometimes we go too broad on the old spectrum. And do you, people come to you because of burnout and, or, and how does it? They're probably on the cusp of it quite often, but thankfully, if I start working with them then, we're in a position to, to prevent that. Um, 
But like Siobhan says, it's just so crucial that those lifestyle interventions are implemented. Um, and really, you know, like I suppose the heart of the work that I do is, is helping people to shift at a subconscious level because you can equip so many people with so much information, so much education, but unless there's a really a space, let's say, for a, a, a deeper shift to happen, you're going to keep on hitting walls. And that is why so many people do burn out because they know, like, we're, we're not stupid. We know we need to sleep more. We know we need to eat better. We know we need exercise. These are, you know, things that everyone is pretty much aware of. We've got, you know, we're, we're fortunate that we live in a world where there's so much education and awareness now. Um, but it's, it's actually, what is it? What are those blocks? What is preventing a person from doing what they know is best for them? Why are they self-sabotaging? Um, so that is, you know, when I can see that someone's close to, to a situation like you're, you're talking about, I would be looking at, at helping them to understand those blocks and start to, to shift them on, on a subconscious level. Tell me about that self-sabotage. That's an interesting concept. What is that? It's something we all do in one form or another. Um, it's the kind of, it can be something like, you know, tomorrow I'm not going to... I don't know, eat that McDonald's or, you know, drink those pints or whatever it is. And then tomorrow comes and inevitably the behavior uh, presents itself. And quite often a person will be really hard on themselves over that and say, oh my God, I said I wasn't going to do that. And now I'm back to square one and all, you know. So the kind of, um, it, it provides fuel, let's say, for someone to be, to beat themselves up. And so when we look at humanistic psychology, we, we learn that every behavior has a purpose, right? So when we're behaving in ways that are actually hurting us, or it could be even something more like a, a, an art, you know, conflict with a loved one, um, any kind of behavior that is, is hurting us on some level is serving a purpose. And when you know what that purpose is, when you say, okay, I can see that this is actually giving me ammunition to use against myself. And why would I want to have ammunition to use against myself? Because I don't really like myself that much. And if I don't like myself that much, why in the name of God would I go and implement those healthier habits, for example? Because we look after and we love people that we care for, we look after them really well. But if we don't love ourselves, then we're not going to be looking after ourselves very well. So, you know, a lot of these things go quite deep and it's, it's getting to that place um, in a way that is gentle and a way that is sustainable. So that's, you know, quite often the way I would <laughs> go about it. That's fair enough. And I see Siobhan nodding when um, Fiona was talking about self-sabotage. Do you see yourself? back in those years you were telling us about burnout? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Go on, give us a story. <laughs> oh, well, Jesus. it might as well, you know, they paid the money. <laughs> one, oh. just one story. No, but it's genuinely, it's, I, I, it, it is a word I know, but it, it's interesting to hear the concept, but I love to hear the reality of what that self-sabotage means. Well, okay, I'll give you, well, I'll give you the sort of the, the year... Um, up to when I stopped drinking. <clears throat> and then, listen, I know you're all having a drink. And by the way, I go away with my mother on holidays and the two lads. 
and Jesus, by God, does she love her wine. So I'm not an anti-drinker at all. And also I have teenage boys and I'm well aware what they're up to as well. So um, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to dampen your Friday night. Um, by the time I, um, I was, so I had, by the time I gave up drinking, but I, at that point, I was head of communications for McDonald's in Ireland. Big corporate job two lads, I used to click off in my high heels to work, like, you look at me, aren't I all great? I worked in Klonski, I dropped the lads to crash, uh, I used to go to the gym, doing all this great stuff. By the time I gave up drinking, I used to drink, and these are my nights in, I used to drink two bottles of wine between six and nine every single night. So I would get up with this great idea of I'm going to look after myself, you know, because I need to be here for my lads and, and work and, and I'm going to the gym, sure, I'm going to the gym. And then I would drink two bottles of wine every day. So that's self-sabotage, isn't it? Yeah. There's self-sabotage. Yeah. And, and, and if I remember correctly, Siobhan, um, you also were um, the key to started the Ronan McDonald House. You were part of that, so which is a fair place. You were two bottles of Chardonnay every night. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Imagine what, you what you imagine, imagine what you would have done without. But anyway, it's great. I went with four. Oh, with four, yeah. That's amazing. No, it is amazing. And you know, it's great. It's great to hear because obviously there is the there is the choice, and you made the choice, and you you guys helping your clients to make a choice. But let's stick for a second with the burnout and how it manifests itself. You kind of hinted a couple of things because we're going to talk a little bit about this before we take a break, and then we're going to get really deep into it. What, how we're going to fix it? Yeah, we're going to have a deep <laughs> dip. So you, you have time to study before we come back and I tell you, ask you all the hard questions. Yeah, is is really good. <laughs> but. Uh, how does it manifest? Because again, I want to make sure that we're not just going, as you say, I'm exhausted, I'm burned out. There's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, what, how think, does it manifest? And I think that's important. And I'm not belittling the exhaustion because I think we're actually post, I mean, we were all exhausted pre-COVID. Like the world was fairly broken at that point. And then COVID came and really cracked the, the egg. Um, and, you know, now we're, I mean, you know, we talk about people going, life is great. And that's what we want. But we are still all kind of crawling ourselves out of the hole and, and trying to pretend it's still OK. Um, and I think, and that's when I say, you know, we are exhausted and we should allow ourselves to say, I'm exhausted. No, I don't want to go there. No, I'm going to bed. No, I'm going to have pyjama day and sit and watch Netflix. Um, it's, you know, burnout. When, with a lot of my clients that I would work with who would be in chronic burnout, they are signed off work and they will be signed off work from anything from three, six, nine. I have a client who's signed off and by the time she's already signed off until April of next year. Um, that is where the lack of ability to connect with the world, to connect with themselves, to connect with their partners, um, utter disengagement. Um, there could be an increased dependency on alcohol, starting to smoke again or smoking more. Um, dependency on food um, on sugar because their dopamine will have uh, decreased so constantly looking for that dopamine hit um, depression um, and you know what I will say for anyone who may think oh I, this resonates with me or someone I know if there is those signs of depression the first protocol is not a book it is a GP so you know books and all this other stuff is a great support but always have the, the backup of a GP. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it's, it's, you'll see, we call in, in therapy, we have what is called a window of tolerance. Your window of tolerance is your ability, your natural state of what you can deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, stresses, curveballs, all of those things. And you'll find in burnout, that window of tolerance shrinks down to, it's like this. So when our, when our window of tolerance shrinks down to here, we'll do one of two things. We'll either go into hyper arousal or hypo arousal. So you're in hyper, that's, imagine hyper is the explosion, it's the volcano exploding. So we're really irritable, we're, we just explode very quickly, short-tempered, just not nice to be around, um, really snappy. And it's not just in work. If equally, if we could flip down into hypo arousal, we just actually go into a freeze mode. We just withdraw into ourselves. We're not even speaking to people. Yeah. We're not communicating how we're feeling at all or what's going on. So we don't want to. We want to, we want to keep in that nice window of tolerance. Um, and, you know, you can see people who are on the cusp of, of burnout. And there are lots of reasons why burnout happens. And I think this is important. You know, the corporate work I do, I have to be really mindful <clears throat> that I'm not vilifying the company going, well, it's clearly your company. <laughs> it's working you all to the bone and you're all completely and utterly burned out because you're all doing 50, 60 hours a week. Um, you know, but... But is that not the case, though? It, it, but you see, it can be. I mean, it isn't always, because it can also be... And, and it's, not about, it's not about apportioning blame to the individual, but it can be that high achiever who's just putting too much pressure on themselves. But it could also be, and I think what we've seen is especially through COVID, the amount of people who were sick, so people were doubling up on not their own work, but someone else's work, or if someone else's work, and you know, suddenly you're doing three people's work in one, for one person, and that expectation with no support because you were working remotely or working, you know, going into the office and, and remotely and not having that support and feedback. Um, so yes, absolutely. Mm. And uh, you know, I, I think that, I, I don't know when that will change because companies aren't hiring, because we're now, the world is broken. Really doom and gloom tonight. But, <laughs> it's great but, crack, isn't it? <laughs> but, but, but there is lots that we can do to empower ourselves to there be is, able. There that is, like, That's the, the point is. And I think the, the, the wisdom of the body is just amazing. Like when mm. we're in touch with our bodies, you know, that's, the signals are always there. Yeah. And the more that we have that, relationship with our, our body, the, the more that we're able to prevent. It's really about health, I think, before healing, isn't yeah. it? Like it's so important that we, we step in there rather than waiting for illness to prevent to pre prevent yeah. present itself. But Shimon mentioned a couple of things about burnout and, and words like depression and stress and anxiety, which you mentioned earlier on, you know, your journey through anxiety. And how how do you, how does anxiety manifest and how do you do deal with how do you do deal with because well, then it's again it's a really it's physical thing that's what i'm yeah. talking about so it's like the more that you pick up those really early signals like you we feel emotion before thought okay so if we have a really good connection to our body we'll feel that immediate like little kind of like a whisper almost mm. so it's not a shout that's what happens when we're not connected it starts to shout it starts to break down it starts to burn out but if we can be attentive like we are with our children that we know there's something there there's something not quite right when we feel that we want to get in there early 
And we want to work with that before it starts to go into an avalanche of thoughts. So, and it's so fast, it's like probably faster than the speed of light, is that the emotion comes, and if you're not connected to that, you're now up here, right? And once you're up here, you're basically screwed because you are now in a pit like of negativity that will just, it's like a hoover, it'll suck you in. And anxiety is incredibly physical. So there's a huge amount of uh, physical symptoms that go with it that create more anxiety because if, you, if your breath is so shallow, I mean, I remember thinking that I literally thought, I, like again, the heart attack, right? It's, it's the classic case mm. of thinking you're, you're going to die. Um, I was in Greece many years ago and yeah, I'd probably been out having good crack and I got some kind of chest infection and I was brought, Kieran, my lovely husband, who's with me then and now still, brought me to the hospital because my breathing was so bad. And the doctors put this, put my, they took an x-ray and they put it up. And I never forget, they put it up on the, you know, the, you can see your chest and the x-ray thing. And they, said, and they said, do you smoke? And I said, yes. And they were like, yeah, she smokes. Yeah, we can see you smoke. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like it, that's showing up, like I'm 26 and they can see I smoke and, you know. So basically what happened then later on was maybe three weeks later, I was back in Ireland and I started, I couldn't breathe. And I thought this is because of the smoking, this is because I, um, you know, my chest and this is, and so basically went into a full on panic attack uh, the ambulance was called. I thought I was dying. Could not breathe. And the two, and it just makes me laugh. Dermot Whelan always talks about this. The ambulance lads come up and they just go, um, they go, Alfred, yeah, another one, another one, yeah, panic attack. And I'm going, no, no, it's not a panic attack. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it's having a panic attack. Uh, yeah, okay, just breathe, love, breathe. And I'm going, no, you don't understand. I was in Greece, okay, and I've got this really bad lung thing, and it's my heart, it's my heart, it's my lungs. And they're like, yeah, you're about 26, love, and there's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, oh, God. So, so it's so physical, is what I'm trying to say. You know, it really, really is. And they knew immediately, because they'd seen it so many times. Um, and now I know, I know myself, and the best advice for anyone who ever suffers from anxiety, panic, is that you cannot, you cannot have a panic attack when you're breathing deeply. It's, near, it's impossible. Because the system is getting a message that you're safe, that everything's okay. And when that, when that message is there, and you can't do it in thought, you have to do it with the only language it understands, and that is the breath. So breathe deep, and your whole system knows that you're safe. If only I'd known that back in that place in Greece with the doctors, mm. I would have breathed very deeply. Um, so it's worth bearing that in mind. Wonderful. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, just before we came down, the, the three of us ended up uh, on our hunkers uh, doing a, a... Oh, yeah. What did we do? We did a buzz exercise. <laughs> <laughs> so Not that was, we needed it. <laughs> it was great. It was great. But we, what we might do towards the end, we might see how the audience is. We might do an exercise to take away for somebody to, to try at home. Um, 
What I just want to do, just to give you a few, few minutes to stretch your legs and really do say hello to the person next to you. I know you love her. You're going to love her. She's an amazing person, all him. You really need to say hello to them uh, because that's how I met these two girls. I, I just showed up at their house. They let me in. All I had, all I had was a microphone. You have no choice. I, I showed up with a microphone. They let me in, and the next thing we're here. So do talk to each other for five minutes. Have a drink. Stretch your legs. We'll be back in about 50 minutes or so, and we'll get really deep into uh, into the thing, but just before we go, if you have any questions, please hold on to them for towards the end, about 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so, we'll give you plenty of chances to ask your questions or share your story. We really love your contribution. Thanks a million. You've been listening to the Social Fabric podcast with me, Andrea Splendori, and that was part one of two of my conversation with Fiona Brennan and Siobhan Murray. Please join me again or visit socialfabric.ie for more episodes. But if I meet you somewhere far down the line The sun still shines in your hair I kiss you once then I'll Yeah, if I meet you someplace far down the line The sun still shines in your face I'll kiss you once, then I'll see